you would please open in the Bible to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the last few verses of Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 12 through the end of the chapter. If you would please stand. Luke writes, Then the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us, and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field which the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, And let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, And Matthias, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd be pleased now to send your Holy Spirit upon us, the same Spirit that moved Luke to write these words. May that same sovereign Spirit pry open our cold, resistant hearts and give us grace that we might hear your voice, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please be seated. you want to follow along, uh, you can turn to the outline on page 9 in the bulletin. As I said at the beginning of the service, uh, we're heading towards Pentecost. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, and that's a very special day in the life of the church. It's a day when we remember the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church. And sometimes uh, Pentecost is described as the birthday of the church. And I I know what's meant. It is certainly a very significant uh, milestone in the life of God's people. The Holy Spirit came in a powerful way as promised upon the disciples. And so something really significant, really important begins 
on Pentecost Sunday, and the rest of the book of Acts records all that. But it's not actually true to say that the church, in the most accurate sense, was born that day. As a matter of fact, as Reformed Christians, we know that the church was actually born in the Old Testament. The ecclesia, the assembly of God's people uh, that we read about in the Old Testament is very much part of our life. All of those promises are promises to us. All those words spoken to God's covenant people in the Old Testament are spoken to us. And so, in a sense, the the church is part of God's plan all the way back to the very, uh, all the books of the Old Testament, all the way to back to the very beginning when God entered into covenant relationship with his people, with Abraham, for instance, we have this relationship. And brothers and sisters, we are part of that, that great sweep of God's sovereign purpose in the life of his people. That includes us. So Pentecost isn't really the birthday of the church because we can point to Old Testament precedent that has great significance to us today. But also, Pentecost isn't the birthday of the church because of verses 12 through 26. See, these are the 10 days between the ascension of Christ at the beginning of Acts chapter 1 and Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Uh, This group of people who gathered, the disciples, who numbered about 120, they were, during this 120 days, very much being the church. And what we're going to read about in this section, it's sad to say, is often neglected. I have to say that in all my years of studying the book of Acts, I love the book of Acts, we did a series on the book of Acts, Uh, in all my reflecting on the book of Acts, I haven't really paid very much attention to this little section. And yet it's extremely important if we're going to understand the meaning of the resurrection, which is what we've been trying to do this Easter, and if we're going to understand our life today. I've called this sermon the praying church. But another way of describing it is Pentecost minus 10 days. You know how when they do a countdown on one of the rocket ships and... uh, down in Houston, it's, it's uh, minus 10 seconds or minus 10 minutes, and it's a countdown backwards going to the moment of ignition. Well, if you will, this is Pentecost minus 10 days. It's the 10 days of extremely important activity leading up to Pentecost. We'll be thinking a lot more about that next Sunday, but today we're going to be focusing on this extremely significant 10 days and what we have to learn about the church, its priorities, and our ministry at Metrocrest. Now, there are a couple of priorities that jump right out at us, and I'm going to go over them in reverse order. The second priority has to do with leadership. This is verses 15 to 26. Uh, This is uh, the scene where Peter stands up among the brothers. Uh, There were about 120, not not much bigger than the group in here this morning. A small group. Look around the room, and you can pretty much envision what a gathering of the entire church looked like. Not many more people than are sitting here in the room at the moment. 120 people. And notice what Peter says to them in verse 16. He says, brothers, I love... The frequent reminder that we are family, brothers, sisters. The Greek word brothers includes the idea of sisters. It's a family. We are part of 
the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. Just pause for a moment. What did the apostolic church believe? This church post-resurrection, who had just spent, remember, 40 days, Luke tells us, with the resurrected Christ. He's just ascended into heaven. And what we're hearing here at the beginning of Acts chapter 1 is what Jesus had taught them. The things Jesus had taught them, we now hear on their lips. Them saying things they've never said before, as it's recorded in the Bible. But here, Peter, an unschooled fisherman, whose only schooling had been with Jesus, and there can't be better schooling than that, saying that the scripture had to be fulfilled. The faith of the apostolic church, and our faith too, if we're going to be in fellowship with them, is this, that God's word is true and that it must be fulfilled. We trust in God's word. One of the things I love about the PCA is God's word stands over everything else. All of our constitutional language, all of our agreements about the way we relate to each other in the PCA, all of that is under God's word because brothers and sisters, God's word has to be fulfilled. And then Peter goes on to say that the scriptures, he says here, are actually the Holy Spirit speaking. Isn't that interesting? The scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke. He talks about David. It was by the mouth of David. David was a real human person who God used. But David gave voice to what the Holy Spirit spoke. And our conviction at Metrocrest is, brothers and sisters, this word is by the mouth of men, human beings that were led by the Spirit to write this book. And as we engage with, engage with this book, we are hearing, we're hearing the voice of God, the Holy Spirit. I just prayed a moment ago that God would open our ears and give us grace to hear God's voice. And that was the conviction of the apostolic church. Never be confused about that. Never let anybody tell you that the church has ever in apostolic Christianity had a different view of the scripture. We believe in the authority of the Bible that it must be fulfilled and that in it the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Well here Peter applies it in a particular way. He says the Holy Spirit spoke before him by the mouth of David concerning Judas. See, Judas betrayed Christ. He became a guide, Peter says, to those who arrested Jesus. Now bear in mind, all of this was just days earlier, a few weeks earlier. They had been there in the garden when Judas had betrayed Jesus, when those who came with Judas arrested Jesus and took him to the cross. And so Peter, speaking for the other apostles, no doubt, recognized that Judas's departure left a, a gap in their leadership. They went from 12 to 11. Um, now, that doesn't sound like much if you've just got 120 members. <laughs> uh, you'd think I was crazy if I said we needed 12 pastors to pastor Metrocrest. But you see, 
the apostolic vision for the church has never been one of maintenance. They needed 12 leaders because they existed not just for the 120 who were there with them. They needed 12 pastors, 12 leaders, because they had a mission to evangelize Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That's the vision Jesus had given to them. That's what he had taught them over these 40 days. And so as they were contemplating the mission, the ministry that had been entrusted to them, they needed the 12 people. They needed the additional leader. Of course, 12 is a highly significant number. Not only was it one more person to do mission and ministry, it was that 12th person that in the Bible, so often underscores God's covenant work. The, the, the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, the 12 sons, uh, the number 12 is significant. And, and it had to be fulfilled because the Holy Spirit said so. And so they're confronted with this need for a new leader. The church is always in need of leaders. Uh, Metrocrest is in need of leaders. I am so grateful to Brian Ray and Vianney D'Souza, who are two new leaders who are in training right now. Brothers, you are so important to us. We're so grateful for you. We're grateful to all those who are currently leaders. I'm looking around the room and seeing those who've given hours and hours and so much energy to support the life and ministry of our church. And brothers and sisters, that's the way Jesus has ordained it getting ready to do a book for our leadership training class called How Jesus Runs the Church. And what we discover is that Jesus appoints leaders and they are raised up from the congregation and their ministries to help us to be faithful to the call of the resurrected Christ. And thank God for all of our leaders here at Metrocrest. Elders, deacons, team leaders, Sunday school teachers, Bible group leaders. We're grateful for all of you and for the important work that the Lord's entrusted to you. And so we discover here at the very beginning, before Pentecost, that the church was already conscious of this need and they were already doing something about it and they hold an election. They have a kind of election. And they do it by putting forward two names. One of them we have sitting here with us in the church. We have a young man named Justice. Well, one of the people who were put forward by the apostles for consideration was named Justice. He was also called Joseph, Barsabbas, and Justice. He had not one, not two, but three names. He was put forward as someone who was qualified, they believed, to uh, hold important leadership in the baby church, the, the new manifestation of God's covenant promises. And then they put forward one person who, all it says about him is, and Matthias. So there was, um, there was Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice, and Matthias. And they don't hold an election as in passing out ballots. They have an election in the sense of select. Because the, the basic understanding, we, we have a very different view of it in our culture, in our day. We think of elections as passing out ballots. And, and that can be a means of, of selection. 
But the, the fundamental idea, and we see this uh, a couple of times in the, in the Bible, where God speaks through this selection process. And the way they actually do it is they cast lots. That was a well-established Old Testament tradition, the Umim and the Thurman. Uh, that was something that was well-known. It was a, a way of making a, an important decision. Apparently, both of these men were qualified, so they brought it to the Lord. And it was Matthias who was the one who was selected to become the 12th apostle. And so we see the church dealing with this priority, the priority of leadership. And so Acts chapter 2 begins with a full contingent of 12 apostles who are in place prepared to do what God is going to do beginning in Acts chapter 2 with the coming of the Holy Spirit in this powerful new way. And leadership was a top priority. In fact, I'd say it's their, their number two priority was to get the leaders in place that God intended for them to have. And please pray for Metrocrest that we will have the leaders in place that God intends for us to have. But actually there was a, there was a prior priority, <laughs> a prior priority, Priority number one, which actually shows up first in this passage, and I think this is the part that I have skipped over in every study I've ever done of the book of Acts. It's verses 12 through 14. It's not a very dramatic section. What it says is they they returned from Jerusalem. They returned from the ascension, which is very dramatic, about a day's journey from Jerusalem to where they went. They came actually from Olivet into Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. It says verse 13, when they had entered this, uh, the place where they were staying in Jerusalem, they went up to the upper room. You've heard of the upper room. Well, that's where the Lord's Supper was first celebrated. The upper room, uh, apparently that idea of that location in a building is significant. We read about it several times. So, well, they go back to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. We have the 11 disciples who were left after Judas had betrayed Jesus. But I want to draw your attention to verse 14. Here were all the leaders of the church gathered together. What was their first priority? It says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Pentecost minus 10 days, God's covenant people, including the leaders, the apostles, There they were, praying. Brothers and sisters, priority number one for God's church is prayer. It's the most important thing that we can do in response to what Jesus has done for us is to turn to him. I mean, that's the essence of what Christianity is, is to turn away towards Jesus. That's the basic description of what it is to be a Christian. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It means we're facing Jesus. And that's, at its essence, is what prayer is. It's the communication we have with God, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's our turning to Him. 
relating to him. That's what prayer is, is relating to God. And that's what the first priority of the church was, was to pray. They're going to pray again, actually. If you look across the page, you'll see that the first thing they did in order to get the new leader they knew they needed, verse 24, was to pray. Verse 24, they're doing there specifically what they're doing generally in verse 14. And we'll see again and again through the book of Acts that the covenant people of God turn to him in prayer. It is the mark, if you will, of the church. It is the community of people called out by God for himself. And we pray to him. We call out to him. And there are several different things that we're told about this prayerfulness, this priority of prayer. I've got four listed in the bulletin on page nine. Priority, unity, devotion, and perseverance. And these are, I'm going to try to show you how these come out of verse 14. Priority. It literally is the first thing they do. As they gather together, the first thing they do that we're told about in the book of Acts is they prayed. They prayed. You know, I am very conscious how in my own life, prayer can be pushed further and further and further down the agenda. Turning to God to prayer is often something we do at the very end. It's kind of a, I don't know, a religious nod to God. But that's not the way the apostles had been taught by the resurrected Christ to do it. They turned to God in prayer at the very beginning. They turned to God at the very end. They turned to God throughout. It was their priority. I found a great quote this week from J.I. Packer. He wrote, J.I. Packer's a great English uh, theologian, someone who Leslie and I love very much. He wrote these words, We must learn to measure ourselves not by our knowledge about God, not by our gifts and responsibilities in the church, but by how we pray and what goes on in our hearts. Many of us, I suspect, have no idea how impoverished we are at this level. Let us ask the Lord to show us. I've been so convicted this week thinking about that. Do I even know how impoverished my prayers are? We have to ask God to show us. Do we at Metrocrest have any sense of how are we doing in the, in the priority of prayer? If you walked in, would you guess that that is our top priority? You know, when Jesus cleared the temple, remember this? She's described as having done it at least once, maybe twice. Maybe it's this retelling of the same thing. But, but Jesus did this. He came into the temple in Jerusalem. And do you remember what he said? My house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. He didn't say, my house should be called a house of preaching. He didn't say, my house should be called a house of theology. He didn't say, my house should be called a, a house of reaching out. He says, my house, quoting Isaiah, shall be called a house of prayer 
for all nations. Brothers and sisters, what we're doing here right now is we are being a house of prayer. What I'm trying to do right now as I preach from Acts chapter 1 is challenge us by the authority of God's word which must be fulfilled the voice of the Holy Spirit saying to us we need to push prayer up our priorities. Prayer is not an afterthought. It's not an optional uh, course that you take if you've got a second, if you're interested in that kind of thing. We're to be a house of prayer. We're to be a house characterized by prayer. When we have our session meetings, if you're there with a stopwatch, you'll discover we spend a big chunk of our time praying about the things we discuss. When we discuss an object on our agenda at the session meetings, we pray about it before we go to the next thing. We thank God and we pray about the thing we've just discussed. And that should characterize our whole life. That, that prayer permeates our life because it's our top priority. That's not all that Luke tells us. It says, look at verse 14 again. Again, showing the priority. Luke says, all these with one accord. With one accord. With one accord is, is, a, is a word that gets at the, this idea of unity. And according to Luke, all of them had unity. They had one accord as they prayed, as they turned to the Lord. You know, it's really hard to pray if you don't have one accord. If you don't have unity, it's very hard to pray. Sometimes you have to. You have to. Sometimes when we're not united on something, we have to. But if we're not united on the basic outlines of who Jesus is, if we're not united around the authority of God's word, if we're not united around those things, it is really, really hard to pray. And I've been in a church where there was not unity about who Jesus is, what the gospel is, the authority of the Bible. One of the things I am most grateful for in the PCA, people talk about us having our differences. We have differences. But let me tell you, we have no difference whatsoever in terms of who Jesus Christ is and the authority of his word in our life. No disagreement about that at all. Of any PCA pastor, any PCA ruling elder, any PCA deacon I've ever bumped into, by God's grace, we're a church that's pretty clear on those things. And praise God for it. May it ever be so. And one of the strengths here among us is that we want to seek this one accordness, this unity in Christ. It was true of the apostolic church at the very beginning, 10 days before Pentecost. They were there doing their top priority and they did it with one accord in unity with Christ. He had taught them that. He, we read about that in the New Testament, in, in, the, in the Gospels. We read about Jesus teaching them this. And then during the 40 days before his ascension, he had taught them apparently. And this came out of those, those lessons from Christ. And their prayers reflected it. The priority of prayer, the unity of prayer. But it doesn't stop there. It says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Wow, can I say with a straight face that I devote myself to prayer? Sadly, prayer can become a kind of religious window dressing. You got to do it, right? When you come to church, you got to pray. 
So it's very easy for prayer to become a kind of religious window dressing. And in fact, it can get really elaborate and really fancy and really beautiful. It can take up a lot of time. But does it express devotion? Devotion is a great word. It's, it's, It's this deep, deep commitment. Well, the apostolic church, 10 days before Pentecost, was praying all together, devoting themselves to prayer. Devoting themselves to prayer. Um, I got a great quote from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, who was one of the great Reformed preachers, had a great church in London, England, known for its preaching. But this is what Charles Simeon had to say. He said, The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a graceometer? Isn't a great word, a graceometer? The prayer meeting, he says, is a graceometer. And from it, we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. This from one of the great Reformed preachers who knew the importance of preaching, who knew the importance of the life of God's people gathered around his word. Well, according to this great preacher, the graceometer in a church that's gathered around God's word will very often be gauged by the prayer of the people who are gathered together. Are they devoted in prayer? Well, that's, that's a challenging thing to ask yourself. It's a challenging thing to ask as a church. We've been trying to encourage more and more prayer in our life together. I mentioned what we've been doing in session meetings. We also periodically have called prayer meetings. We had a called prayer meeting just the other Sunday where people were struggling with what happened in Allen, Texas and And people in our own congregation were caught up in it. And What's the response to that? You can go protest. You can go and yell at people. You can get very mad about it. And there's probably grounds for some of that. But God's people pray. I mean, it's gotten to where on social media, if you mention prayer, people will outright mock you. They'll mock you. But the conviction of the church is... There is nothing more important, there's nothing more effective that we can do than call out to God in prayer. There are other things we can do. Some of them are helpful. But there is nothing more important than praying to the God of the universe, the God we see in the resurrected Christ, who raised Jesus from the dead and gave him new and never-ending life, there is nothing more important, there's nothing more effective that you and I can do than pray. Never let anyone convince you there is. But I got to tell you, you know, one of the, we live in the time of the culture wars, right? We all know about the culture wars. Where, well, one of the big topics in the culture wars, I've heard this more times than I can account, is 
God's not going to bless America until we put prayer back in the schools. Uh, I went to school at a time when kids could pray, and I got to say there were, some, there were very, very many good things about that. But you know what, brothers and sisters? Let's ask ourselves a fundamental question. Why will God put prayer back in the schools if prayer isn't in the church? How can we seriously talk about the priority of prayer if as people we don't earnestly, with devotion, call out to God? I've been praying that Metrocrest will grow as a praying church. Several of us have been praying that. The session I've been praying that for months. And we're just praying that God will help us. Colson Huckabee, one of our interns, has launched a, a prayer meeting. Some of you have been able to go to it. But i got to tell you, it does not inspire Spurgeon-like encouragement that our prayer meeting might have two or three people. Just saying. <laughs> uh, we have a prayer meeting. I'd love it if that prayer meeting began to look a little bit more like this gathering. I'll tell you, it was a great encouragement at our call prayer meeting the other Sunday. We had a big crowd of people. And I think it's probably easier for us to get together and pray when there's some big thing we're praying about. And we did that for Covenant Church in Nashville. We've done that for other things. And I'm grateful when people will stick around and pray about those important matters that, that we're all conscious of. But if you think about it, in this crazy day and age where there's so much going on, shouldn't we be praying like that every opportunity we have? Can we really look at the world and criticize the world if we're not, as God's people, calling out to God for the, the reformation and the revival and the renewal of the gospel in the world where we live? Can we, can we say anything in critique if we're not taking our first priority resource to heart? So... If we're going to learn something from this apostolic glimpse into the church, this glimpse into the life of the apostolic church, we will understand the priority of prayer, the unity of prayer, and, and the devotion to prayer, calling out to God. I, the other night at the session meeting, we started talking about this, and we talked about the ACTS. You know that little acronym, ACTS? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. See, we tend to think of prayer as just me giving God a long list of to-do items. It's very easy for prayer to turn into that. Well, let me tell you, in our prayer meeting that Colton has very carefully put together and in the other prayers that we organize, we always try to begin, as we will see in the book of Acts, that we come in prayer into the presence of the creator God, the sovereign God. Let me just get you to look over a couple of pages to an apostolic prayer. I'll flip over to Acts chapter 4, verse 23. This is just another glimpse at the beginning of Acts. When they were released, that is when the, uh, the, the uh, apostles who had been arrested were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, you hear those echoes? 
The authority of God's word. Who's speaking to us in the Bible? And then they go on to include in their prayers some verses from the scriptures. Looking back to the Psalms. But you see where they start their prayers? They don't start with a long list of uh, their to-do list for God. They begin by reminding themselves of the sovereign Lord, the creator. They talk about their own sin, the sin of the world. So flip back to Acts 1. I'm wrapping up. They have a devotion to the, to the sovereign Lord. That's to whom we are praying. Finally, there's perseverance. Now, you might say, where's perseverance? Well, it's, it's in that wonderful word, devoting. Uh, Hayden and Colton and uh, Brian can verify this for me. That is a present participle. It is an ongoing action. It's devoting for a reason. It wasn't just something they got stirred up about, something had happened. They were really concerned about the shooting over here or the terrible thing over there. It was actually something that characterized their life in an ongoing, persevering way. They became people of prayer. It was the apostles and Mary and the women, Jesus' family, They became a people of prayer. They really were beginning to manifest what Jesus talked about, quoting Isaiah. They were becoming a house of prayer. And all the way through the rest of the book of Acts, we will see the apostles, the church again and again and again. We'll see Paul again and again and again turning to the sovereign Lord, calling out to him in prayer. I want to wrap up. My hope, and the session and I are talking about this, we want to do more to encourage prayer. We don't want to twist anybody's arm. We don't want to make anybody feel guilty. But we want to challenge one another. I believe the Holy Spirit is doing this to us. That's why we're on this passage this morning. The Holy Spirit speaking to us, challenging us to grow as a community of prayer, to look for ways and opportunities to get together and pray. We've talked about a midweek prayer meeting. We've talked about a monthly prayer meeting. We've talked about other opportunities to get together and to call out to the Lord. Would you please pray for us to pray? Pray that God will help us. Like J.I. Packer said, that he'll reveal to us how we can more faithfully engage God in prayer. Here at church, here at church, but also at home? That's a question that bears some thinking. It's one thing to talk about our praying together. That's extremely important. But you know what? What you do at home is a little reflection of what you learn here at church. And I'm sad to say, I know it is very possible to be a regular churchgoer and to be a very poor prayer at home. And you know why I know that for a fact? Because I've done it too. I know it is possible to come to church and pray together and then go back home and slip into a pattern of not praying very much or even at all. So please pray that God would help us. Next Sunday's Pentecost.
Next Sunday, we're going we're to open to another chapter in the ongoing story of God's work among his people. But brothers and sisters, priority one is prayer. That we will be people who respond to God's initiative by calling out to him.